If you've been going around the good old internet looking for the right podcast to fulfill your New York Yankees needs, well, I'll be the first to deliver the good news to you. You have found it. Here on Yapping Yankees with me, your host, Mike Scudero, you and I will be discussing the latest news, takes, and talk throughout the entire Yankee universe. Oh, and there may be some ranting on my behalf. Yeah. Anyway, what do you say we get to it? Let's get to yapping! Yes. God, it's good to hear that music again. All right. Hello there, my fellow Yankee fans. And after our two-week vacation, welcome to episode 80. Episode 80. Good Lord. Welcome to episode 80 of the Yapping Yankees podcast, where we yap about the Yanks and nothing but those Yanks. As always, I am your host, Mike Scudero, here on this Sunday, January 24th, 2021. Now, as always, let's get things started by giving our shout-outs to Grunt Talks MLB, Reckless Airwaves Radio, and Ball 9. Ball 9 brings you some of the best baseball content out there. Baseball stories old and new, articles, roundtable discussions, suggested baseball podcasts like Yapping Yankees, and more. Visit Ball 9's website, ball9.com, and follow them on all social medias at Ball 9. And know what you don't know. Next, we have Reckless Airwaves Radio. Get your latest uncensored, unlimited dish on everything sports. Interviews, featured podcasts, including Yapping Yankees, and much, much more. Anything goes on Reckless Airwaves Radio. Give them a follow across all social medias at Reckless Airwave and check out their website, RecklessAirwaves.com. And our final shout out goes to Grunt Talks MLB. Visit their website, GruntTalksMLB.com to see all of their baseball content and where they feature Yapping Yankees. Also follow the mastermind behind the website. His name is Darren and you can find him on Twitter at YankeeReport28 and follow them on all social medias at GruntTalksMLB. MLB. Special thanks to all of our friends at Grunt Talks MLB, Reckless Airwaves, and Ball 9 for helping to spread the word every week about Yapping Yankees. And as always, guys, don't forget that you can help spread the word about Yapping Yankees every week and stay updated on everything with both me and the Yankees by following me on all social medias. Follow my Facebook fan page at Mike Scudero NY. Follow me on Twitter at Mike Scudero and on Instagram at Mike Scuds 97. And remember to subscribe and always listen to Yapping Yankees on all four platforms it's available on. And those would be YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. As Tony Stark says at the beginning of Iron Man 2, all right, it's good to be back. <laughs> After a needed and refreshing vacation, I have returned. I missed you guys. I missed the show too. I missed all of it. As I said, in the near two-year history of this show already, not only do I almost never take off from it in general, but I've never taken two weeks off. And I gotta tell you, I am a firm believer in the notion that us humans could just use a mental reset sometimes, and it definitely feels like that's what this break was. And although, again, I missed you guys very much, the break was very nice. And now we can get right back into things, and it is really good to be back. And since the last time I spoke to you three Sundays ago on my birthday, January 3rd, a lot happened. A lot happened. 
And in general, even without a lot happening, that's usually just a lot of time to cover, but especially with how the offseason heated up, we've got a lot to talk about, lots of exciting stuff to discuss on today's episode. I've been itching for this show, I can't wait to get into all of it. Lots of time to cover, lots of things to discuss. Obviously, we're only going to mainly focus in on what happened with the Yankees, as most of the Yankees news, and the most notable Yankees news, I'd say, happened on that memorable day of Friday, January 15th, nine days ago. And I know you all know what I'm talking about, but I did figure I'd quickly run through the major things that happened elsewhere first that definitely helped ramp up the trading market even more after the Padres 24-hour blitz that we already spoke about three weeks ago on the last episode of Yapping Yankees. And then some of those trades led to signings in the free agent market starting to heat up. And some of these are some players that we've mentioned throughout the offseason to have been potential options for the Yankees. And now they're off the board officially. But yes, after we spoke last, guys came off the market starting with a big trade in the likes of Lindor, formerly of the Indians of course, who went to the Mets along with Carlos Carrasco. Obviously Carrasco was a starting pitcher for the Indians, us Yankee fans are very familiar with him over the years. So they both went to the Mets as the Indians just continued on in their massive unloading of guys amidst what they've said to be massive financial pandemic losses, and as for the Mets, that was a fantastic trade. And then the free agent market after that began to finally gain some traction after all these months this offseason. A couple of relievers who I've mentioned here on Yapping Yankees many times as being a couple of potential bullpen options for the Yankees came off the market in right-handed reliever Liam Hendricks, he signed with the White Sox, and Archie Bradley signed a very team-friendly deal with the Phillies too, one year and only $6 million. Could that have fit into the Yankees' budget? Yeah, of course. Six million is, of course, not a lot. But in my opinion, it wasn't really the end of the world when the Yankees missed out on him. There are other options and better options out there still to this day to potentially add some bullpen help. So some players definitely were starting to come off the board around the weekend of the 10th and then during the week between January 10th and the 17th. Also including, and I just want to mention this quickly too, not having to do with trades or signings, but news came out from Major League Baseball about there being more optimism that spring training, the regular season, all of it, will be starting on time. That was announced around the 10th or the 11th, and the next day, the league sent out a memo to all the teams saying they also even plan for fans to be in attendance for 2021 in certain cities. Now, that obviously depends on each state, and social distancing and masks would be required, of course, so there would be guidelines in place as expected. But vaccines, or proof of having gotten a vaccine, would not be required, and neither would proof of a negative COVID test. So both of those pieces of news are obviously really great, just what a fan wants to hear that wants to attend a game that, at least still for now, everything will be getting underway on time, and that with the proper guidelines in place, if you feel comfortable doing so and your state allows it, you could attend a game this year. Masks, distancing, probably like a 25% capacity crowd or something like that you have to assume. I don't know, something of that nature more or less. So that's that. There seems to be some real optimism surrounding this for now. Keywords, for now. Things are always changing these days. But we had certainly talked about the possibility of things starting up on time with the vaccine having come out, and now there seems to be optimism throughout the league that spring training and the regular season will likely start on time, which, again, is fantastic news for us baseball fans. I just wanted to mention that really quick, too, as that was the news that broke around that time of the 10th or the 11th, and I definitely thought that that was very important to touch on. 
Circling back to moves made, though. When it comes to what happened this past week, after the 17th, there were even more moves made this past week. Plenty of them, as the offseason hot stove got even hotter. Like Joe Musgrove heading to San Diego to even further bolster what was already a dominant Padres starting rotation earlier in the week. That Padres rotation is really... It's really looking scary. So the Padres got Musgrove in what was a three-team trade between them, the Pirates, where, of course, Musgrove came from, and the Mets as well. So that happened this past week. Jose Quintana also went to the Angels. Kirby Yates came off of the relief pitching market and headed to the Blue Jays to help out the back end of their pen. George Springer also headed to the Blue Jays. Gonna be just great having him to deal with in the division. You now have him, Kevin Biggio, Vlad Guerrero Jr., Teoscar Hernandez, Bo Bichette, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Yankee killer Randall Grichuk. <laughs> Uh, lots of solid bats in that lineup. Lots. Their starting rotation isn't much at all beyond Hunjin Ryu, but that lineup is scary. And I definitely think they'll be a problem. But as far as elsewhere, Michael Brantley also went back to the Astros after some reporters prematurely reported that he had signed with the Blue Jays earlier in the day. That was fun. Such a fun time dealing with the annual, quote-unquote, reliable sources, including what happened with rumors about a Luis Castillo trade to the Yankees. Gotta love when those false reports come out. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Kike Hernandez also signed with the Red Sox a couple of days ago. So anyway, as you can hear, a lot happened since we last spoke on my birthday three weeks ago. So the offseason definitely and thankfully finally heated up big time. But as you can hear, that isn't even including what happened with the Yankees. Yeah, they made a couple of smaller scale depth moves not too long ago after the last Yapping Yankees episode, a few days after that. And there's also news regarding Masahiro Tanaka and his current status on where he could end up. But obviously, January 15th is the main day everyone wants to talk about. When Cashman and the Yankees did an absolute blitz inside of about 10 hours. <laughs> You guys know exactly what I'm talking about. DJ, Kluber, signing all arbitration-eligible players, the whole nine yards. I'm not going to beat around the bush at all or do any teases or anything. You guys know exactly what I'm talking about, and we are going to talk in-depth about all of it. Ugh, that crazy day of Friday, January 15th for the Yankees, which also, if you recall, was the day of my second social media live stream that I did on Twitter and Instagram. And many of you know that one of those big pieces of news actually broke during the live stream, which was pretty damn cool. So we'll talk about everything that happened on the 15th, as well as all of the smaller depth moves they made where Tanaka is at, and what's happening to now former Yankee and also now former free agent, Jay Happ. Good news on that forefront for Yankee fans. <laughs> Lots to get through, guys. That's why I figured I'd quickly run through some of the big things that happened elsewhere in baseball, but also obviously mention what we'll be discussing today in Yankees news. Lots to catch up on. Lots to talk about, so let's waste no further time and get right into all of it, starting with this week's poll. And this week's poll question is, are you optimistic about Corey Kluber this season? Now, as I mentioned before, Corey Kluber was, of course, one of the signings the Yankees made on January 15th, and we're going to be talking a whole lot more about him even more later on in the show in Yankees news, as I mentioned we would be doing before. So I'm going to keep my explanation on the somewhat short side, since we have more to talk about with him later on. And of course, we'll see what you guys also have to say down in the replies for Twitter and in my DMs on Instagram in reply to this poll. 
Now, I ask if you're optimistic because, of course, the background that comes with Kluber, especially in the last two years. And in those last two years, he hasn't pitched much. In 2019, he took that really hard comebacker to the arm, injured his forearm, and he missed most of the year after having only pitched 35 and two-thirds innings in 2019. That was his last year with the Cleveland Indians, which is where he had spent his entire career up until 2020. He then went to the Rangers and last year only pitched one inning and had to get his shoulder operated on. So for someone who never really had injury troubles before 2019, the last two years, years, Corey Kluber has run into some bad luck, especially with that comebacker to the arm. I mean, how could you even control that happening if you're on the mound? You can't. It's as a result of an outside factor taking place, resulting in you getting hurt, almost like Aaron Judge getting hit in the wrist with that pitch by Jacob Junis. Similar thing. Someone does something, and then it results in somebody else getting injured. But regardless of how it's all happened, Corey Kluber has run into some bad luck these last two years with injuries. That's the moral of the story. But before that, you're of course talking about a two-time Cy Young Award winner, somebody who had fantastic seasons and was always considered one of the top arms in the game from 2014 through to 2018. He even had a pretty good season in 2013. Wasn't bad by any stretch of the imagination. And he had never had injury struggles prior. In fact, he was a workhorse. In 2013, he threw 147 and a third innings. And then from 2014 through to 2018, every single one of those years, he pitched over 200 innings. He was a workhorse and very, very respected throughout the game. But obviously, given his story the last two years, there is a risk that comes with him signing. He's only pitched 36 and two-thirds combined innings in the last two years, with the 35 and two-thirds in 2019 and the one inning last year in 2020. So, of course, his past is very bright, his past from 2018 and back, but naturally, his story the last two years makes you a little uncomfortable and made a lot of people feel like that the Yankees could use at least one more starter. And that's totally fair to have that concern. It's totally fair. And he's not too young either. He's 34 going on 35. That's not old, but it's not very young either. And to a certain degree, I share that concern, but I gotta be honest with you. And as you'll hear in the next couple of minutes, when I give you the poll results, you'll hear that a lot of people also apparently agree with this line of thinking. And some of you may see me as hypocritical considering nobody has mapped out the fact that after Garrett Cole prior to this move made, there were just tons of question marks in this rotation. Almost nobody, when mapping out how badly the Yankees need starting pitching, highlighted that more more than me. I really went in on every single piece the Yankees were relying on in this rotation prior to making this move with Corey Kluber and really discussing in depth, more or less, how all of them were just question marks, just filled with uncertainty. And these last two years of Corey Kluber's career definitely put a question mark to his name too, as I've established when I did bring his name up in the past as a potential option for the rotation. But I gotta tell you, there is also plenty, plenty of reason to be optimistic about Corey Kluber in 2021. And I'll explain my reasoning to be optimistic both now in my explanation before getting into your replies and also later on when we further expand upon this in Yankees news. Now, this signing, this one year and $11 million signing, it is a risk. 
and it is a gamble, but I am strangely optimistic about Corey Kluber, who has a chip on his shoulder coming into this year. He has something to prove. It is a risk, but I believe in the guy, and I'm optimistic about his chances. The guy's past speaks for itself. He was never prone to injury before this, and you could still argue that prior to 2020, he still never was because injury prone is constantly getting hurt, and it's just within your own body. Just things are breaking down, but in 2019, it was mainly because of the injury to his arm from that hard comebacker that he took. So, I don't want to get technical about it, but that is true. I still really wouldn't classify him as injury prone. And he also has another major, major thing on his side, which is really what I'm mainly looking at here when I really look at the big picture. And that is the fact that the Yankees happen to have at the head of their training and conditioning staff for injuries. They happen to have a man in that position by the name of Eric Cressy. We spoke about him and addressed his name after the new injury and training staff regime took over after 2019, that whole injury mess. And I'm definitely still willing to be patient with them considering their first trial run was 2020 which was a disastrous, never-before-seen season where injuries naturally spiked because of the bizarre schedule, especially amongst pitchers. So even more so with that being said, Eric Cressy, at the top of the Yankees' injury and training and conditioning staff, happened to work with Corey Kluber directly during Corey Kluber's rehabilitation from his surgery in 2020. So with that being said, you really have to imagine that Eric Cressy had some serious input with the Yankees when it came to signing Corey Kluber. He really must have given them a clean bill of health, saying that he really believes that Corey Kluber is ready to go, he's fully healthy. We know that he's ready for spring training and opening day, but he really must have just reassured the Yankees that he's ready to go. And this guy is ready to have that comeback and be that big piece the Yankees were looking for in the starting rotation. And there is no doubt in my mind that all Although I'm sure he's going to have an innings limit, if he is even mostly like his old self, he doesn't even have to be fully like his old self, because if he were, that means he would be probably pitching over 200 innings again, and that's not going to happen this year. I find it very hard to imagine that it would, and he's probably going to be on an innings limit. But again, even if he is only mostly like his old self, which it seems like the Yankees are confident that he could be, then that would be really, really good for the Yankees. If he is even mostly like his old self, it will definitely have been money well spent, one, and two, definitely a very nice arm to compliment Garrett Cole. So a lot of my optimism is honestly riding behind Eric Cressy, but a guy who is said to have the knowledge that he does in this area, especially having worked with Kluber in his rehabilitation personally, that input means a lot to me. It really does. Along with the fact, of course, that Corey Kluber's past speaks for itself. And if he can even mostly be like the way he used to be, that would be massive. So again, while this is a risk and it is a gamble, and I will gladly admit that, there is a lot more to me to be optimistic about here. Along with the fact, and I don't want to forget this either, along with the fact that the Yankees' current pitching coach, who we know to be Matt Blake, used to be with the Cleveland Indians. <laughs> and worked with Corey Kluber for quite some time. And you have to imagine that Corey Kluber wanted to come here also because of the familiarity with these names. He knows these people, and they're all within the Yankees organization. He probably feels comfortable coming here because of that also, being around familiar faces. So honestly, at this moment, it just really seems like a good fit. There are aspects to be optimistic about, which I just mapped out for you. And all in all, I am really just feeling good about Corey Kluber being a Yankee. We know the risk that comes with it. 
We mapped that out when I was bringing up his name for months as a potential option for the Yankees. And I did mention his name plenty throughout the offseason, definitely at least a few times. But I did map out the risk that comes with his story from the last two years. So I'm not going to deny that. As I said, I do understand that side. I understand the concern. I understand the risk. And as I said, I agree with it, but to a certain extent. But I do think there is an awful lot to be optimistic about here. And that is the path I'm choosing to take with Corey Kluber and I hope it's the right one, both for his sake and, of course, the Yankees' sake. And as I said earlier, it seems like a lot of people agree with me, because listen to these results from Twitter, coming from hundreds of you who voted. And I have to say, I was surprised to see the results being this much in a landslide, but it's a welcome surprise, because 83% of you voted for the fact that you are optimistic about Corey Kluber this season. So 83% chose the choice of yes and only 17%, the remaining 17% of you, voted that you are not optimistic about Corey Kluber this season. And I'm really interested to hear what you guys had to say down in the Twitter comments. So let's get to those straight away. First up, here on Twitter, we have at Andrew Caruso 77 and Andrew says, I'm optimistic. We've seen what he can do when healthy, and I expect him to do that in 2021. He and Cole will be one of the best 1-2 starters in MLB. Well, that would be humongous. That would be amazing. No doubt about that. And as I said in my explanation, obviously we all know what Corey Kluber is like when healthy and what his past was like. Two-time Cy Young Award winner, a fantastic, fantastic pitcher. It all speaks for itself. ERA in the low to mid twos most of the time. Lots of strikeouts, tons of innings pitched. Just an absolute workhorse. And for years there, as I mapped out, in the discussion of talking about who some of the best arms in the game were, Corey Kluber, I felt like, was always amongst one of those names. And no doubt, as I said before, if Corey Kluber is even mostly like his old self from 2014 through to 2018, then yeah, that one-two punch at the top with him and Garrett Cole, it could be phenomenal. Next, we have at C underscore dog 33, and they say low risk, high reward. If he does well, it's a bonus and makes the rotation that much better. Well, since he did make more money than a lot of experts were predicting, I'm not sure I'd call it low risk because for someone of his category of having not pitched much at all the last two years and having only pitched one inning last season, I think $11 million for a pitcher in his category was actually considered to be a little expensive. Now, we're going to get much more in depth about all of that when we talk about this more in Yankees news later on in the show. But yeah, I'm not so sure I I'd call that low risk necessarily, not completely, because you got to remember, they also are really counting on him being healthy, because if he is, he could be a huge, and when I say huge, I mean huge asset to this rotation and a beautiful, beautiful number two behind Garrett Cole. But as I did say, a part of this is a big gamble, not only for the 11 million, which was more than a lot of people expected he would get, but also because really you have to assume the Yankees are really relying on him being healthy and really putting out a respectable season. And if it doesn't work out and he's to get injured again, that would be pretty bad for the Yankees. That would be bad. So while I understand what you're trying to say, I'm not sure I would 100% agree with calling it low risk, but of course it definitely has a chance of being a very high reward. It's Corey Kluber. And also, absolutely, if he does well, if he's even mostly like his old self, then yeah, it makes the rotation much, much better. Up next is Mike Nelson at MD Nelly, and Mike says, I am optimistic. With so many teams interested, his medicals must check out enough to make everyone comfortable, so I'm going off the assumption he's healthy enough to contribute. 
If he's 80% of his old self, that will be fine. At 100%, a steal at $11 million. Totally agree with that. As you've been hearing the last couple of minutes, that's what I've been saying. And again, I don't think it's really possible for him to be 100% himself because he's not going to be pitching 200 plus innings like he had from 2014 through 2018, but maybe like 150 or 150 to 180 or something like that. So he could still mostly be like, as you put it, 80% of his old self. And as you put it, that would still be great if that were the case. If he were to be that, and if he were to remain healthy, that would be amazing, and everything the Yankees asked for. And yeah, of course, he had that pitching session a few weeks ago where a lot of teams around Major League Baseball sent their scouts to go watch, the Yankees were one of them, and a lot of teams up until he was signed by the Yankees were apparently in communication with them. A lot of guys were really in play for him, and we'll talk about that more later as well, but yeah, absolutely, a lot of teams were in on him, a lot of teams were willing to pay him, so many people out there must have believed that he was healthy enough to contribute, as you said. I completely agree with that. And as I also stressed before, it makes me even more comfortable, which is why I said some people may see me as a hypocrite, because I've mapped out tons of times before this Kluber deal how basically everybody in the Yankees' projected 2021 rotation after Garrett Cole is a question mark, and... Corey Kluber's last two years basically put a question mark next to his name too, but to support my argument, not only with what you said, Mike, but also with what I said earlier about the Yankees having Eric Cressy in their organization, who worked with Corey Kluber directly in his rehabilitation from his shoulder surgery, and he must have really given the Yankees a lot of input too as to how he thought Corey Kluber is truly ready to go and he is healthy. And again, Cressy is the head of the training and performance staff. They help out the guys with their injuries, of course, and this guy worked directly with Kluber. So again, a lot of my optimism is riding on his input, which I imagine he had a lot of it in this signing. I really do. But it has me feeling optimistic, along with your reasoning, Mike, which is good reasoning, that since a lot of teams were in on him, and they were, according to reports, that a lot of people, not just the Yankees, must have had faith that he is healthy. And if he is, and he gives like 80% of his old self, like you say, then I am really looking forward to watching him pitch. All right, next is Tina at MountainGal456, my good friend Tina. And she says, yes, I am optimistic about Corey Kluber. If it all works out, it will be awesome. Fingers crossed. Absolutely it will. It'll be absolutely amazing. Again, if Corey Kluber is even mostly like his old self, then he will be a lot of fun to watch and a lot of fun to watch him take the ball after Garrett Cole. And yeah, as you say, a lot of this is if, and we're saying if a lot in this segment. I realize that. If, if, if. But there are a lot of ifs in life in general, guys. I hate to get all philosophical on you, but a lot of things in life ride on if. And you know what? I and evidently lots of other people are choosing to be confident here, and I think with good reason. If we're wrong, then crucify us. <laughs> For all I know, just, just crucify us. But if we're right, think of how amazing that's going to be for us fans, and especially the Yankees. I'm just really, really praying here. As Tina says, fingers crossed. All right, let us continue on. Up next is Rebecca at Peace Now for Life. And Rebecca says, I'm very optimistic. I'm sure the Yankees did their due diligence on his health and he has a proven track record. His injuries can all be traced back to the broken arm he suffered. I think he's going to have a great season. Yeah, that injury of his was really tough. The hard comebacker to the arm and that was really what sent him on this injury spiral 
these last two years. But yes, as I also said many times already, I too am sure that they did their homework on his health, especially having Eric Cressy as the head of their injury and training and performance staff. He worked with Kluber personally, and I'm sure he had a lot of input on the matter. And if he is healthy... <laughs> I can't wait. Next is Bobby Tats 631 and Bobby says, yes, I am optimistic. I'm putting my money on the fact that despite the injuries, he's skilled enough to bounce back. And it's also two less years of wear and tear on his arm. Yeah, he's got something to prove this year. And if Eric Cressy's likely input is true, then hopefully he is healthy throughout the year. He gives it his all. He's at least a part of his old self. And he bounces back really, really well. He's got something to prove this year. And he's going to do his damnness to prove it. And yeah, you can say that too. Since he hasn't pitched much the last two years, that's two years less of the wear and tear on his arm. You're absolutely right about that. Up next is Atmir Fisherman, and they say no, simply no. Also knowing the Yanks, there will be no chance that there will be this rotation at one time. Cole, Sevy, and Kluber. Well, regardless of the risk involved, I wouldn't say no chance. Anything's possible, especially, you have to imagine the Yanks really did their homework on his health, especially having Cressy by their side to give input. I mean, as I've been saying, you really have to imagine that's the case. And you never know what it's going to be like when Sevy comes back, because Sevy's not really going to be a factor until the second half, as we we've well established for months now. We don't know where Kluber will be at with his innings pitched, or if he'll still even be healthy by the time the second half comes around. So yeah, a lot of it around that time of the season especially is unknown, you're right, but I wouldn't say there's no chance. I definitely understand not thinking that it's going to work out, thinking there's too much risk involved, but saying there's no chance, I don't agree with that. There's always a chance. Next is at M. Zimmel, and they say, normally, a mid-30-year-old pitcher coming off major shoulder surgery is scary. But then again, not everyone is a two-time Cy Young winner who threw to a 2.89 ERA last time they were fully healthy in 2018. If Kluber gets back to form, or even close to back to form, he could probably win 15 to 18 games. Well... That would be very, very nice. Even as someone who absolutely hates, as I've said many times in the past, to use the win-loss stat when it comes to pitchers. I mean, it still does hold a little value to me, but amongst other stats, not much. But I'm not going to sit here and deny that that would be nice. It certainly would be. And yeah, you're right. Although it was back in 2018, that was the last time he had a good season, and it was a really good one. The year before that, probably the best of all of his years in 2017. Just absolutely phenomenal. But hey, you're right. As I said before, Corey Kluber's past speaks for itself, and I can't wait to see what he's going to do this year. I just can't. I'm very excited. But yeah, how amazing that would be. At Savage Empire Pod is up next, and they say yes, as the man who was first to talk about the Yanks going after him, it is the ultimate buy low, big reward type player. And he doesn't have to carry us, he just has to be healthy. Should be good for 15 wins. Alright, so a similar sort of win total as the prior reply mentioned. But yeah, of course, for Corey Kluber, I would have to say the main priority, yeah, is to stay healthy. Even if he doesn't pitch as many innings as he has in the past, like 200 plus, as I mentioned, do not expect to see that this season. Just stay healthy regardless. And again, like I said with the reply earlier, I'm not sure I'd 100% agree with the fact that it's a buy low, considering that the 11 million was significantly more than anybody anticipated he'd get, because I honestly expected, like all the other people predicting what he'd get, I expected him to get somewhere around, like, 7 or 8 million, but he ended up getting 11, so that was more than I thought, and inevitably, because of the bit of risk attached, 
Like I said, I definitely understand those who are really worried about this and concerned and are not optimistic given the last two years of his career. I do hear you guys, as I said. And for that reason, I myself must admit that I was a little surprised to see the price go up to $11 million, which, as we know, is what the Yankees signed him for. But as we'll hear later, the Yankees were not the only team willing to do that, according to reports. So that makes the Yankees look less crazy, which is what some people were calling them for a while after the signing. But I myself was a little surprised to see it go above $10 million too, to the $11 million the Yankees signed them for. So again, I do not completely agree that it's buy low. But like the reply from before, I get what you're trying to say. And yeah, I don't think they're relying on him to carry them. I think... As far as carry, I think that more falls to the ace of a staff, i.e. Garrett Cole in the Yankees instance, but I definitely think they're relying on him to be a really solid pitcher in the rotation, no doubt about that, and hopefully their belief in the fact that he's healthy comes through, because as we've well established, that would be awesome. At Laker 477 is next, and they say, yes, I'm really looking forward to watching his comeback. Me too. I just really, at this point, want to see what he does, or even doesn't do. I'm just really curious to see that next step in Corey Kluber's career. See where he goes from here after barely pitching the last two years. Somebody of his past, somebody of his potential and ability based on how great he's been. I'm really looking forward to it too. Next is at Brian underscore TGP, and Brian says... So many within the organization are familiar with Kluber. If that wasn't true, then I would have answered differently. Hey, that's fair enough. And as I've said, I'm using that as a big reason as to why I'm choosing to be optimistic as well. As I said, the head of the Yankees training and performance staff, Eric Cressy, worked with Kluber directly in his rehab. You've got to imagine he had a lot of input when the Yankees were considering signing Kluber. You also have the Yankees pitching coach Matt Blake, who was associated with Cleveland for a lot of years while Kluber was the ace of that staff. And even on Kluber's behalf himself, him seeing the familiarity with the Yankees, these familiar names, that also very well could have played a part in his decision to come to the Yankees as well. So again, hopefully it just works out very, very well for all sides. I mean, that's what you hope for, right? I would hope so. So yeah, I understand your answer, and as I myself said, my optimism is very much riding on the backs of people like Eric Cressy too, so... I get it. It helps to have the head of the Yankees injury staff having worked with Kluber directly in his rehab. At Yanks fan Chris 74 says, I'm optimistic for Kluber. I think he is the best free agent fit for us in terms of the starting pitching out there. A comebacker to the forearm does not qualify you as injury prone. I expect 180 plus out of him this year. I mean, yeah, there were a lot of free agent pitching fits out there. There's no doubt about that. So I'm not sure about the best especially because of the inevitable risk attached to him. And he definitely comes at a better price for obvious reasons than someone like Trevor Bauer, for instance. But especially if he works out, he could definitely prove to be one of the best, no doubt about it. It obviously depends on how he ends up doing, too. We're yet to see the result. That's the whole part of it, <laughs> right? And yeah, I said something similar before to having the comebacker to the arm, not really qualifying him as injury-prone, as some people have said. I know an injury is an injury, but it's different when an outside factor contributes to it. It's just different. And I know his 2020 injury wasn't an outside factor, and it was a pretty major injury, but it's surgically repaired now, and you know what? With a pitcher in the major leagues, it's not easy to get through an entire career without any injury at all. And before these last two years in general, as we know, Corey Kluber's injury resume... Pretty clear up to that point. And about the 180 innings plus, I said it before and I'll say it again, I would not expect that much. I'd maybe say 
something more in like the 150 range, maybe 150 to 180, something like that, but 180 plus or anywhere around 200 innings, I basically rule that out at this time, but we'll see. At Laura underscore Eismont, Laura says, yes, the comeback is greater than the setback. Hell yeah. Love that expression. (laughs) Okay, up next is at Marcia Nicholas, and Marcia says, have to stay positive. Well, that definitely helps. That's for sure. (laughs) Up next is at Javer31, and Javer says, too many teams were involved in trying to sign him, and he chose the Yankees. Yeah, he did, which is cool. But honestly, yeah, as you said before, too many teams were involved in him. A lot of them were involved. And as a reply from earlier said, that could definitely indicate that just a lot of people around the league in general, not just the Yankees, were firmly believing that this guy's healthy and ready to have a comeback in 2021. So as we did say before, again, maybe that could help you feel more confident if you're not on the side of optimism for this. Which again, I can't totally blame you if you're not. But perhaps facts like that, and also guys like Eric Cressy, who played a direct role in his rehab, maybe that could help you feel a little bit better. At CJ Lawler 95 is next, and CJ says, gotta stay healthy. That's all I ask. Yeah, that's the key. That's the goal. Even if you can't pitch 200 innings like you did in the past, if you're Corey Kluber, just give it your all and stay healthy. When you're trying to have a comeback story like this, that's gotta be your top priority. At SirGerm88 says, yes, all right, some optimism. I really am pleasantly surprised at the amount of optimism that there's been. All right, let's do a couple more. Up next is at Rob Spaulding 3 and he says, optimistic? No. Hopeful? Yes. Very. All right, fair enough. I could understand why some people are not optimistic. I definitely can. But it's definitely good to at least remain hopeful. Definitely. Next up is at D-Man Lucha. Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold on. I just got a notification. Jameson Tyon traded to the Yankees. Holy crap. (laughs) That just happened in the middle of the recording. What time is it now? It's 1228. Yeah, 1228. Wow. Wow, that trade was just announced. That is crazy. (laughs) Something else with the Yankees happened while I was in the middle of doing something with my content. (laughs) That is nuts. As I'll talk about later, you know, one of those things that happened on January 15th happened during my live stream, and now this Jameson tie-on trade to the Yankees happens while I'm taping episode 80. (laughs) This is nuts. Well, I don't really know who's going back to Pittsburgh in this trade. Of course, Jameson Tyon comes from the Pittsburgh Pirates, for those who don't know. But this literally just broke on Twitter. I'm looking at Jeff Passan's tweet now, and there's no word yet on who's going back to the Pirates from the Yankees. I assume it's prospects of some sort, because Pittsburgh's been looking to load up on those, as they did with the Musgrove trade. But, wow. So Jameson Tyon is a Yankee. That's another addition to the starting rotation. Wow, another thing to talk about today. (laughs) That's awesome. All right, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to read another reply or two here on Twitter. Then I'm going to move on to Instagram, read those. And hopefully by that time, while we're in Yankees news, my God, how perfect would that timing be? Hopefully during that time, more details about the trade will come out. And then we could talk about it during Yankees news at some point. But wow, that's crazy. Wow. So when you guys are listening to this tonight, obviously it'll be many, many hours since this passed already. But right now, as I'm recording, it's like 12.30 right now, this trade just broke. And people were expecting this, I was expecting this, but it just came out now as official. Jameson Tyon is a Yankee. Damn. (laughs) We'll definitely talk about this later on in news. Hopefully there's more details surrounding the trade by then. 
God, I love when things happen like this. <laughs> I love when trades or signings happen while I'm in the middle of something, whether it be like a live stream, like on the 15th or this while I'm recording the podcast and things like this, or just big things in general have happened in the past while recording the show. And I love when it happens because it catches me so off guard and well, it gives us something else even more to talk about. Okay, so let's get through this poll segment and then I'll figure out where to fit in the Jameson tie-on news. I guess I'll do it before the end of the show, I suppose. <laughs> Love doing things on the fly. <laughs> All right, so before that news just broke, I was about to read a reply on Twitter from D-Man Lucha, so let's get to that. D-Man Lucha had to say about Kluber and whether he's optimistic or not. He said, absolutely, he should be able to give quality starts and innings if healthy. Just as important, I think someone like Clark Schmidt could benefit immensely Immensely from his experience and mentorship. Yeah, even if it's not 200 innings or even like 180 plus, like some people have said, yeah, if he could just stay healthy and still give quality innings, that's huge for the Yankees. That's a big deal. Staying healthy, top priority, stay healthy. And definitely, I love that mention about the kids like Clark Schmidt, maybe even someone like Davey Garcia. Any young kid out there that shares a position with any sort of veteran can definitely learn something from that veteran, someone who's been in the game for years. And I've spoken about the importance of veteran leadership a lot here on this show. So I totally agree with that. I love that. Anytime a veteran can help a kid out with their craft, that could sometimes have a very good result. All right, there's plenty more replies here as usual, but I'm just going to read one more out. At Patchman14, and he simply says, I'm optimistic and I hope he does well. <laughs> well, I do too, and I'm sure all Yankee fans hope for the same thing. All right, guys. Well, that is all for the Twitter replies for today. I want to thank each and every one of you, as always, for taking the time to reply on Twitter. You are all awesome. Loved hearing from all of you. And now we are going to move on to Instagram before we wrap up the poll segment to hear what you guys had to say on there, how you voted, and all that good stuff. So clearly, optimism reigns supreme on Twitter. Let's see if it did the same on Instagram. The same question applies, obviously, and that question is, are you optimistic about Corey Kluber this season? Same two choices to choose from, yes and no, and of all the votes that came in on Instagram, and there were many, as always, on there as well, there was an even bigger landslide. 91% of the vote says that they are optimistic about Corey Kluber. 91%. And just the remaining 9% say that they are not optimistic. 91. So lots of optimism on both social media platforms, but Instagram even more so than Twitter. Crazy. All right, let's read a few replies here on Instagram. First up, we have the Dark Knight 025, my good friend James. You might know him on Twitter as BlackRebirth52. And James says, Well, I am very skeptical about it considering he's coming off of injury, but he did look impressive according to reports, and we need him healthy. So, yes, on a prayer, I hope he's effective. Absolutely, James. Apparently, all the teams that were involved in watching his pitching performance, all those teams that had a scout attend that, were very impressed, and a lot of teams were in on signing him. So, yeah. That's got to tell you something. But of course, and as I said earlier, I completely understand all of you who are skeptical since given the last two years of his career coming off of injury, really not pitching much at all. I get it. But yes, as you said, he looked impressive. 
Lots of teams must believe he was healthy. The Yankees also have it on their side that the head of their injury staff worked directly with Kluber in his rehab, and especially given his basically injury-free past and his past effectiveness as one of the top arms in the game for years, there's definitely reason to be optimistic as well. And like you, yeah, of course, I pray that he's really effective. Sayesh2914 says he hasn't pitched in years. What's to be optimistic about? It's like saying I'm optimistic about Troy Tulowitzki. Same story, same channel. I would say that they're very different. I would not compare those two. I saw that Joel Sherman made a similar comparison, and I gotta tell you, I don't get it. Especially because one's a position player, one's a pitcher. That's number one. Number two, Troy Tulowitzki had a much bigger history of injuries. But also in this case, you have the man, Eric Cressy, who worked directly with Kluber in his rehab, as I've said ad nauseum at this point, as the head of the Yankees injury staff. So you have to assume he gave a lot of input on this and really does believe that he's healthy. And of course, the season is yet to play out as of now, but as of this moment, when they signed Tulowitzki, I'm not sure the Yankees had as reliable of a source as Cressy is with Kluber with Tulo. Plus, you also have Matt Blake as the Yankees' pitching coach, and he worked with Corey Kluber for years in Cleveland. So yes, of course, while Kluber is a risk and a gamble at least a bit, you can't really deny that much. I wouldn't really compare it to Tulowitzki. So, of course, while there's no guarantee that this will work out, there are reasons to be optimistic. Eric Cressy's input, the familiarity with Matt Blake, of course his past, and tons of other teams being interested in him too. Again, that's gotta say something. So, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Sheba Husky Lover is next, and they say, I voted yes, but I'm at 50-50. The Yankees should manage his innings to keep him healthy. If they treat him like he's fully healthy and let him go out there every fifth day for four to six innings, I'm not optimistic that he won't be injured in short order. Yeah, as I said a few times throughout the poll segment overall, I'm pretty sure they'll watch over his innings in some form. I find it hard to believe he goes much more than maybe, I don't know, 160-ish innings, maybe? He's definitely not going no 200 innings. I'd be shocked if that happened. But yeah, I'm sure they'll be careful with his innings. You have to be for somebody who's only pitched like 36 innings the last two years. All right, a couple more. I'll finish off with the usual final two. And first up, that would be my amazing girlfriend, Vic Salimo. And Vic says, although he has not pitched much in the last two years, if the Yankees feel that he's healthy now and has the potential to be at least close to how he used to be, then I'm optimistic he will do great for us. Okay, I love the optimism. Love it, love it, love it. Just try trying to be positive. You gotta have hope, guys, because without hope, we have nothing. Yes, Sage Mike is back. <laughs> okay, let's put a wrap on this segment. Last but not least, certainly last but not least, is my mother, Julia Gina Scudero, and my mom says, yes, I choose to be optimistic. I know he's been injured, and his age isn't a balmy 22, but he's a good player. Let's hope for the best. Let's go, Yankees. Can't wait for the full season. Oh, God, I love this reply. <laughs> And not just because it's my mother. I just truly love it. The, the optimism, the balmy 22, <laughs> that's a nice touch on it. But yeah, of course, he's a good player. His past is fantastic. No doubt about that. And can't wait for the full season. Well, as I said during the intro, there seems to be optimism in that area too. So from your lips to God's ears as well, Mom. Absolutely love it. But for now, that is all for our poll segment this week here on Twitter and Instagram. Again, guys, on both platforms, each and every one of you, whether I got to you or not, 
thank you so, 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 so much for replying. As always, your interactions mean the world to me. And you know the drill that if I didn't get to you, just keep on replying week by week, guys. Whether it be a poll segment like this, an open-ended question, a Q&A, no matter what the social media segment is on a given week, just keep on replying and I will get to you. But even if I didn't, you know I appreciate you all the same. And if you want to see the tweets on Twitter week by week for each social media segment, you know what to do. Just hit up my Twitter page, at Mike Scudero. Just scroll down to my timeline, and you'll find the social media tweet. And you can go below it and look at all the comments and all the replies for yourself. But thank you all so much for your interactions, as always. Loved hearing your thoughts. Loved the optimism. I love it all. Okay, now to end off the show, obviously, as always, we've got some Yankees news. Now, I'm going to do this a little differently this week as opposed to prior weeks because not only are we playing catch-up for the last two or three weeks since I last spoke to you on the third, but also, obviously, as you heard earlier, in the middle of my recording, we also had the news of Jameson Tyon being traded to the Yankees out of the blue. So, I mean, not out of the blue meaning unexpected because actually it was pretty expected, especially with the rumors about this just getting hotter and hotter the last day or two. I just mean out of the blue because it just happened in the middle of me recording and I wasn't expecting it to happen at that moment. So I'll probably save that until the end or near the end of the Yankees news segment. But up until that point, I'll update you on everything the Yankees did as far as smaller depth moves from the last time we spoke three Sundays ago up until now. Then we'll talk about everything that happened on the 15th between DJ and Kluber and the arbitration signings. We'll also talk about what happened with Jay Happ, as I briefly mentioned in the intro. Definitely some good news there if you're a Yankee fan. The status of Masahiro Tanaka. And now added on to all of that, since it happened in the middle of my recording, Jamison Tyon being traded to the Yankees. And it was actually announced just a couple of minutes ago who is heading back to Pittsburgh from the Yankees in this Tyon trade. So again, great timing there, but we'll save that till near the end of the Yankees news segment. We'll start off with the news that came out on January 6th, Wednesday, January 6th, and it was announced that James Reeves from the Yankees would be headed to the Padres in exchange for Greg Allen. So Greg Allen to the Yankees. He was added to the 40-man roster. He's been in the big since 2017, so for four years now. We remember him from his time on the Indians, if you're a Yankee fan like I am. He spent all of his years there up until last year, spending a very brief part of 2020 with the Padres, which is where the Yankees got him from. Hasn't done too much in his career, but I guess for now he works as an outfield depth piece. That's really what I see him as. He's on the 40-man roster, and that may or may not remain, especially after DJ and Kluber signed and... Now that Jameson Tyon got traded to the Yankees and the Yankees gave away, it looks like, four prospects now. And it depends how many of those are on the 40-man because before this Tyon trade, all 40 spots were plugged up and DJ and Kluber actually did not even have a spot on the roster. So now depending on what happened with this Tyon trade, which I'm yet to read the details, we'll get to that in a little bit as I said, but if they cleared enough roster spots now to fit DJ, Kluber, and Tyon on, then I guess it's fine the way it is with Greg Allen being on the roster. But if any more spots need to be cleared up still, even after the Tyon trade, then maybe they consider DFA and Greg Allen or something. I don't know. Or maybe they have another trade in the works. I'm really not sure. But for now, and especially at the time on the 6th, a lot of people greeted this move with a lot of sarcasm saying, oh, the season's saved. The Yankees got Greg Allen. <laughs> the sarcasm is often strong in the Yankee community. <laughs> So it was greeted with lots of sarcasm, but I basically saw this as a depth move for the outfield. But we'll see what they do or don't do with him in order to make room on the 40-man roster if they even need to make room anymore after this trade for a tie-on. So they got Greg Allen on January 6th. 
on the 7th, on Thursday, they signed Hewlett Chassin to a minor league deal and invited him to spring training. It's a tough name to pronounce, I'm pretty sure that's how you say it. But he's definitely a veteran. He's been in the league for 12 years now, since 2009. And you may remember him from his years on the Rockies mainly, but he's done lots of team hopping the last few years. He's had his decent years, and he's had his bad years. He's alright. He's good for being basically what I feel he is in this minor league contract, which is another depth piece for the Yankees if they need him. And like basically all minor league signings, more or less, it's A, again, a depth move, and B, a real example of low risk, high reward. Because if he doesn't work out, or if you don't need him, then you spent little to no money, and they stay in the minors anyway. But if you need him, they come up, they're good, you spent little money on him, and you got him for a great price. And he does great for the team. That's the high reward aspect. So this is a true example of low risk, high reward. Good depth piece. So if the Yanks need him at any point, whether it be due to injuries in the rotation and whatnot, we might see him. Otherwise, I see this again as another depth move, and he costs very little since it's a minor league deal, so again, no real big penalty, obviously, if we don't get to see him. But of course, best of luck to him. And I actually did see, I wanted to mention this, I actually did see that maybe a few days before the Yankees signed him to this minor league deal, before he gets this opportunity, hopefully, with the Yankees, if they end up needing him, but before they signed him to this contract, he had actually earned his citizenship as a United States citizen, which is awesome. I mean, what a week that is. You become a United States citizen, and then right after that, just days later, the Yankees sign you. What a time to be alive if you're Chassin, really. <laughs> That's a great week. So congratulations to him, and we'll see what kind of part he plays on the Major League squad this year, if any. We'll see. So then January 10th came around, Sunday, and two pieces of news really came out. Those two pieces of news being that the Yankees re-signed Tyler Lyons to a minor league deal, so... I mean, whatever there. Lyons is what he is. He's an average at best lefty relief pitcher. And maybe average is even being too kind. He's blah. I mean, not really much of an opinion on that. We saw a little bit of him, of course, in 2019 when he was here. Spent a lot of years with the Cardinals to start out his career. And he was actually pretty decent from 2015 until 2017. 2018, he was really bad. 2019, he split time with the Pirates and the Yankees as well. Not a great season. Had maybe a couple of good moments with the Yankees, but definitely had his ugly moments too. Not a great season overall. And then in 2020, he was back again and only appeared in one game, pitched an inning in two-thirds, and did horribly. So I'm not really sure what role, if any, he'll have with the squad this year, but you know what? As I said before, like all minor league signings, it's low risk, high reward every time. Unless the person's just straight up terrible, then the chance for high reward is extremely slim, and Tyler Lyons isn't anything to write home about, but if he doesn't end up having that much of a role with the team this year, or if he doesn't have any role with the team, then you've lost little to nothing. It's just a minor league deal, so it's whatever. They brought Tyler Lyons back in a minor league deal. I know a lot of people didn't care about it. I don't much care about it, but who knows what's going to happen with him. If he does have a role with the team, then I hope he does well. And the last piece of news having to do with what I consider to be a depth piece, another minor league signing by the Yankees, comes in the likes of Asher Wajowski. Really long and complicated last name. They signed him on the 21st, they invited him to spring training, and if he is to make the Yankees big league roster this coming season, he'll make $750,000. Yankee fans should remember him primarily seeing him on his time with the Orioles in 2019 and 2020. Before that, he was with the Astros and the Reds, but Asher's really nothing 
to write home about. In his time in the majors, he has a 595 ERA through 198 total innings. He's really had his struggles, and he's had a bit more success in the minor league level. If there's one really good thing to mention about him, the guy's got a really good slider, so if that matters to you, then there you go. The guy has a really, really good slider. But otherwise, really nothing to go nuts about. Clearly just another depth piece for the Yankees, signing him to a minor league deal. And we'll see whether or not, like the other guys who were signed to a minor league deal, if he has a role with the big league squad this year. So Asher Wojciowski signed to a minor league deal. Then another piece of news came out which proved to be useless when he ultimately re-signed as we know, but on the 10th, news came out that DJ was apparently frustrated and had his agent re-engage with other teams because he was upset with the Yankees' slow negotiation tactics. I mean, to the best of my knowledge, talking to other teams and testing out your market is pretty much negotiations 101, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, I didn't really make much of the report even when it came out, and then of course I made even less of it when he ultimately resigned. But when I read that, I was like, okay, he's going to start talking to other teams. He'll test out his market. Yeah, it maybe got me like the slightest, slightest bit on edge because you don't ever like it when other people are talking to other teams because then it becomes at least a tiny bit possible that they might walk away. But you guys know that throughout the offseason, I was remaining confident that the Yankees were going to re-sign DJ. Did I keep on ending every show saying Yankees re-signed DJ, and was I showing enthusiasm and support for them re-signing DJ all the time? Yeah, I was. <laughs> like any normal Yankee fan was. But as I also kept reiterating throughout the entire winter, I did express confidence that he would ultimately return to the Yankees. So this report really didn't do much for me. When it just said DJ was frustrated, he's going to be re-engaging with other teams. Like, wow, who would have known? The Yankees are operating slowly this winter because that's just the way that they're operating. And that's the way that a lot of teams are operating because of their reported losses from the pandemic season in 2020. Or so they say. We knew that most of the offseason was going to be slow. I stressed that a lot heading into the winter. That this offseason would be unlike any other. That the free agent market would be mostly stagnant. That lots of time would go by without anything being done, whether it be trade or signing. And that's what happened up until about a week or two ago. Excluding the Padres blitz, which we mentioned last episode. But you get what I'm saying. And also, there were other reports already stating that DJ was being contacted from other teams, like the Blue Jays, the Mets were said to be in contact with him, the Dodgers too. So, like, there were already people talking to him, and that had been reported already. So, when it said that he was frustrated and he would re-engage with other teams, I was like, okay... I didn't really know what to make of it, but I was like, okay, it's part of negotiations. It's not to be unexpected, especially in an off-season like this one, right? I mean, that's just what was running through my head at the time. I don't know about you. But regardless, that's what the 10th consisted of, January 10th. On the 15th, news broke that the Yankees signed a Dominican shortstop prospect by the name of Hans Montero to a $1.7 million contract. Of course, not a major signing as of right now, just a prospect. Perhaps it could turn out to be major in the future. I hear the kid's got good potential, he's smooth at shortstop, and a respectable hitter, so we'll see what comes of him in the future. We don't really know what's going to happen with Glaber at shortstop, but if he turns into the shortstop that some people believe he can, me being one of those people, because I am not a Glaber doubter, and I feel like upon having a normal season under his belt in 2021, showing up in good shape, which he did not in 2020 summer camp, when baseball came back after the virus hiatus, and with an offseason this winter, which I hope was filled with hard work and dedication in improving at his craft defensively at shortstop, let alone how young and talented he is, I am one of those believers that Glaber could turn into a solid shortstop, and if he does, then there's really no room for many years 
for any other shortstop prospect on the Yankees because Glaber's just going to clog up the spot. He's still young. He's got a lot of years left in his career. And if he becomes the shortstop that some people believe he can be, then shortstop prospects like Montero might not have a place on the Yankees. But again, anything can happen. So I'm not saying anything as of now when it comes to Montero's future, but could turn out to be a big deal for the organization in the future. Could turn out to not be. We'll see. But that's the signing the Yankees made heading into the 15th, which would be the precursor to a Cashman Blitz. You see part of the episode's title being called Cashman Blitz, and that's really meant to describe what happened on January 15th. The famous and memorable day for this Yankees offseason, January 15th, would arrive. And it began with a move that brought happiness to the hearts of Yankee fans everywhere. Because in the morning... Finally, what all of us had been eagerly waiting for and what we've been asking for basically every second, the re-signing of DJ LeMahieu officially happened. And what fantastic news this was to wake up to on that Friday. I cannot properly describe to you, in words, the sense of happiness that rushed through me when I heard this news, especially upon hearing about the contract. And speaking of that contract, I know some people, mainly ones outside the Yankee fan base that just feel like being trolls for the day, think the contract length is too much, the six years. And of course, the contract itself overall was six years, $90 million. So an average annual salary of $15 million. But some people, a couple of people, said that they believe the six years on the contract, that it's too many years. And a few people who I would consider to be level-headed within the fan base have said the same. But I'll make it simple. I don't agree with you. I disagree if that's your opinion. It's clear at this point that the main thing DJ was looking for also because he denied the qualifying offer of $18.9 million for 2021 months ago, almost $20 million was years. Security. That's what he was looking for. The years. Now, I and basically everyone else knew that he was going to deny that qualifying offer. It made sense to do so. But for the sake of single-year earnings, you get what I'm trying to say. That for next year alone, he denied $18.9 million, yet he signed the six-year $90 million deal, which earns him less than that qualifying offer for 2021, on average. But again, we knew he was going to deny that qualifying offer. It made sense for him to do so. And you get what I'm trying to say. But for that reason and many more, it just really was evident that DJ was seeking the years, especially because of the other reasons. Now, with this contract, he only took a $3 million annual raise from his previous contract the Yankees got him for from the Rockies at two years, $24 million. That's what the Yankees signed him for heading into 2019 when they first got him. And that's obviously $12 million annual average, $24 million over the course of two years, $12 million per. Simple math. This contract, even after everything DJ's done for this team the last two years, this contract, being at six years, $90 million, as I said before, is $15 million annually. So again, just a $3 million raise annually on average from the previous two-year $24 million contract in which he earned $12 million each year on average. Think about that. Only a $3 million per year annual average raise. After everything he's done for this team the last two years, I consider that a good steal on the Yanks' behalf. I really do. And DJ signing off on a $15 million annual average salary not only shows that he was, in fact, telling the truth about wanting to come back to the Yankees, which I've been confident about from the start, as you know. Just got to throw that in there to give myself a little pat on the back. I remain confident throughout, and I'm glad that I did. 
but also it goes to show that his market in general wasn't great. Yes, yes, there were other teams interested in him. There were rumors throughout, all of which I mentioned to you through time, of the Dodgers, Blue Jays, and Mets talking with him. I have heard the Blue Jays offered him something around four years, 78 million. That's more money on average annually than the current six years, 90 with the Yanks. A few million more, give or take. Not an unbelievable amount more, but more nonetheless. But that's even more proof that A, DJ truly wanted to come back to the Bronx. B, his market elsewhere wasn't showing much of anything significantly better than the Yankees offer at all. And C, the years were clearly his main concern. Because, for example, with that Blue Jays offer of four years, 78 million, that's less years, more money annually on average, but he went with the six years, 90 million with the Yankees, which is more years, of course, but less money on average annually. But not much significantly better than the Yankees anyway. But in any event, he most definitely wanted to be back here. Not a big annual pay raise, as I said before, but it's very team-friendly. It gave the Yankees financial wiggle room to make other moves and still stay around or under the $210 million payroll threshold, and when it comes to moves, namely the starting rotation, as I've stressed about so much for weeks and weeks on end, they would end up starting to address in Kluber, of course, on the very same day. And also, the deal being at just $15 million a year should make it more likable for those saying that they don't like the length of the contract as much, since DJ will be around 39 when the contract ends. So at least if he does significantly decline in the last year or so, like summer fearing, he'll be making $15 million on average as opposed to 20 to 25 million on average, which was being rumored to be what he was asking for at one time. You get what I'm saying? It's a healthy amount of money on average annually, and definitely earned after everything he's done for this team. I think it's safe to say he retires a Yankee if he does in fact remain here throughout the entirety of the contract, which I think he will. But again, to circle back to my main point, I do really like this contract. The Yankees were offering less years before, but more money per year annually, like four years 75, four years 80 maybe, give or take, but the Yankees now offer a little less annually, but for more years. And then the deal was agreed upon. I think Cashman did a fine job with this and left himself room to work with to make another move, maybe two, which again, we would see that he did. So I really, really like this contract. Only 15 million average annual salary, and that's really not awful at all. Not if you ask me. Especially when everyone was expecting him to be making more annually on average, whether it be from the Yankees or elsewhere, given the reports the last couple of months about what he was asking for. Because also, at first, when it was being announced with the report that I mentioned earlier, that DJ was upset with the Yankees' slow tactics, and before that, when they kept on saying they were far apart negotiations, and also when they were saying there was a difference of 20 to 25 million dollars, blah, blah, blah. You remember me talking about all the negotiations, but from the beginning and when he was apparently upset with the Yankees' tactics, everyone was talking about him getting a deal that could perhaps be the five years he originally kept asking for, but for maybe 20 to 25 million per year. And that would have been a different story. 20 to 25, to say the least, is a bit different from 15 million. <laughs> But the Yanks got him for the 15. And even though it was, to my surprise too, even more than the reported originally requested five years, with getting him for the 15 million annually, as opposed to those other previous numbers, the Yankees can bite the bullet at that point, if need be, at the end of the contract, because he's only making 15 million on average, again, as opposed to those originally reported numbers, when they were much further apart, 
and DJ was apparently asking for much more per year. Because at that point, with more money annually, at the end of that contract, obviously that would have been a tougher bullet for the Yankees to bite at the end of that contract financially. Not that anybody feels bad for the Yankees financially. Again, nobody does. I'm just saying. But if he is to decline at the end of that contract, again, with this money that they're giving him, if you ask me, it's fine. With the annual average salary, I'm fine with the amount of years, and I think on the annual average salary, as I said, it's pretty much a steal for the Yankees. Only a $3 million annual average salary raise. Very team-friendly. It got DJ back, and that's what's important. Even Ken Rosenthal tweeted out that he wanted $90 million, and to get that with the Yanks, he had to sign for more years to bring down the annual average salary and give the Yanks more room under the luxury tax threshold of $210 million. And Ken went on to say, and I'm paraphrasing here, that this is generally not the way players approach free agency with considering the organization's needs or wants too, but it does make sense considering his desires and teams. That's even what Ken Rosenthal said. So, as I keep on highlighting, he clearly wanted to return, and as I and even top officials like Ken Rosenthal have said, the Yankees wanted DJ back too. It's clear DJ wanted to be back here, so much so that he even considered the organization's future plans. And his main priority was the years. Willing to increase the years for that security and also getting that $90 million that he apparently wanted. Good annual average salary for the Yankees to deal with? Win-win. I think this contract works well for both sides, especially the Yankees financially. There is no doubt that DJ is at the center of this team's success the last couple of years, and it's great to have him back. I'm beyond thrilled. The guy is a competitor, he's a leader, he has an unbreakable mindset, fierce determination, puts the bat on the ball, almost always comes through, plays great defense, he's just the whole package. So DJ, welcome the hell back, buddy. And now that he is back, because of the Yankees signing into this team-friendly $15 million per year on average contract, the Yankees, according to reports, still had about $20 million to work with before hitting that payroll threshold of $210 million. So they said. That made me feel absolutely great, and I also felt great having been confident throughout the offseason that he would return, and that the details to his return are to my liking. Just very, very happy. Before we move on to the Kluber news, though, which also, as we know, took place on the 15th, just at night, the Yankees, right after the DJ news, also agreed to contracts with all of their players who were arbitration eligible heading into 2021. I also mentioned them doing this, so I'll mention this now, and then we'll discuss Kluber some more. All of these deals are, of course, one-year deals. They signed Judge for $10.175 million. No surprise there, of course. Basically, all of these are no surprise. Gary agreed on $6.35 million with the Yankees. Glaber agreed to $4 million. Luke Voigt agreed to $4.7 million. Gio Rochella, $4.65 million. Montgomery, $2.13 million. Clint Frazier, $2.1 million. And Chad Green, $2.15 million. So all of them avoided arbitration, agreeing on these one-year contracts with the Yanks. And then it wasn't done yet, because during my social media live stream on Twitter and Insta, as I said earlier, and be sure to go back to watch those from the 8th and the 15th, my two social media lives that I did, because they were a lot of fun, especially the one on the 15th. So be sure to go back and listen to those on my Twitter and Instagram if you missed them. They're archived on both of my pages. But again, especially the one on the 15th because of what happened. I mentioned that something big happened during the live stream on the 15th. 
And it was during that live stream that it was announced the Yankees were finalizing a one-year, $11 million contract with Corey Kluber, pending a physical, of course. This broke while we were live, and I couldn't believe it. I was just live, talking to all of you that were in there with me, just having a great time, and then just a comment or two popped up, Yankees signing Kluber, Yankees signing Kluber, Yankees finalizing a deal with Kluber. And I was like, wait, 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 whoa, 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 what? <laughs> I was like, can somebody confirm this? Head over to Twitter, see if there are any official tweets, or maybe a notification coming out from Bleacher Report or something. Can someone just confirm this? Because I was going crazy. Eventually, of course, it was confirmed. I could not believe it, and we were just waiting for the amount of money to come out that they signed him for. And people everywhere, reporters and regular fans alike, were speculating anywhere from like 5 to $8 million. But that was not the case. Reports began to surface that he would be signed for north of 10, and I was like, wow, that's more than I thought. <laughs> That even surprised me a little bit. Then it came out shortly after that report, and it said that he and the Yankees agreed to a one-year $11 million contract. Now, this was, of course, after Kluber apparently had a really great showing at his pitching session, which scouts from tons of teams attended, the Yankees included, and he apparently had really promising stuff. Lots of teams were negotiating with him all throughout after that pitching display, as I said earlier, and the Yankees ultimately were the ones to sign him for $11 million also proving everybody wrong that was expecting like five to eight, including myself. I thought it was going to be like a seven or eight million dollar contract. That was very reasonable. I was wrong, and so was basically everybody else. And because they signed him for that extra money, and because of him not pitching much the last two years as we know, a lot of people were starting to say, oh, it might be too much money. There's risk involved, and it might be too much money because of that. And I heard those people. I did. And again, as I said earlier too, I understood what they were saying and agreed with them, but to a certain extent. And then I felt even better about it when days passed and reports started to come out that the other teams that were talking to him, many of them were prepared to offer them basically the same as the Yankees did with the 11 million, and some were prepared to offer him even more than that. So the people that were calling the Yankees crazy for giving him that kind of money, well, the Yankees certainly looked a little less crazy after that report came out. There were teams willing to offer him even more. So, again, as we were talking about earlier with how many teams were negotiating with him, the fact that other teams were even willing to offer him more, what does that tell me personally? That tells me that not only was he really impressive at the pitching display, but that also tells me that a lot of teams were confident that he's healthy. As I mentioned earlier, especially the Yankees, who at the top of their injury staff have a man by the name of Eric Cressy, and Cressy directly oversaw Kluber's rehab. So again, as I stressed in the poll segment, you have to imagine this guy had an unbelievable amount of input with this. Matt Blake, the current Yankee pitching coach, was also with Cleveland for years while Kluber was there. That could have also been a factor, and he could, of course, help out as well, as I'm sure he will. Obviously, he's the pitching coach. So on Kluber's behalf, there may have been a sense of comfort there too because of the familiarity, a lot of familiar faces with the Yankees right now, and it just seems like both sides thought that Kluber to the Yankees was a good fit. And I've read a lot of reports about Eric Cressy in general since he was basically put at the top of the injury staff for the Yankees before 2020. And again, I have a tough time taking the 2020 season really seriously because last season really was a hell of a year to have a first year as a new injury regime in any organization considering the weird schedule, the circumstances, just everything. 
regardless of who was in what injury regime last year with any team, injuries were happening all over because it was a weird season. So with a new full season under their belt in 2021, hopefully this would be a year where I consider it to really be the first year for Eric Cressy and his injury staff. And I've always read and heard of a lot of good things when it comes to Cressy, that he really knows what he's talking about with this stuff. He is very well respected in this industry. And again, I have to imagine he really gave so much input to the Yankees before they signed him. Really asking him his opinion, do you really think this guy's healthy? Would it be worth it to sign him, especially to the 11 million? And since they did, you have to imagine he gave them some really positive insight on Corey Kluber, which of course we all hope to be true, because if that is true, this could work out great. So a lot of my optimism, as I stressed earlier, is really riding on the back of Eric Cressy and all the people on the Yankees' behalf that believe that Corey Kluber is set to make a good comeback. And if he does, that $11 million is going to go down as very well spent. And again, it is an if. There is inevitably a risk and a gamble attached to the fact that he has not pitched much at all these last two years, especially in 2020. But I've already said all of the reasons possible between the poll segment and now to be optimistic about this. And I could be totally wrong, and so could all the other people choosing to be optimistic about this. But just think of how sweet it could be if it works out. Cole and Kluber at the top. Even if Kluber isn't 100% himself, which we all know is not going to be the case, he's not going to be 100% himself because part of Corey Kluber is the workhorse, the 200 innings pitched and stuff like that. And I've well established on the show already, we are not going to see the guy throw 200 innings. I'd be shocked, but you're not going to see it. However, if he is still even mostly just himself this year, that would still be great. And the top priority, obviously, is to just stay healthy. And if he can do that, this could go down as a big signing. It really could. Or, if he gets hurt again and doesn't have much of a role on this team at all, then of course that's not good. At least the contract is only one year in length, but that will not be $11 million well spent, and the Yankees will be all the lesser for it. But Kluber is a warrior, he's been a workhorse in the past, he has a career to be very proud of, and I am praying that he can at least channel some of that, most of that, into his starts this year while staying healthy. Because a healthy Corey Kluber would be a fun Corey Kluber to watch. I'm just really looking forward to seeing what's going to happen to him. Obviously, right now, you can't say whether it's a success or a failure because, of course, the season has not happened yet. We have to see the results, and then we can judge after the fact. But as of now, I cannot wait to see what happens with this. So after much discussion about him on today's episode, that is the deal with Corey Kluber. Literally happened while I was live on Friday the 15th. That was awesome. Amazing timing on that one. You know what was also amazing? Getting the news that Jay Happ signed elsewhere. <laughs> Because that made me very happy. But news broke just a few days ago that Jay Happ had signed a deal with the Minnesota Twins, finally getting off the free agent market. I was confident that we wouldn't see him with the Yankees again, but just finally hearing that there is no chance of him returning really just put my mind truly at ease. So Jay Happ, all chances of him returning are gone, and I just really have one quick thing to say about this, and that is that Jay Happ did have his occasional, whenever the planets lined up, good moments here on the Yankees. I mean... I would hope that you at least have some good moments within the course of a few years when you're a professional baseball player, but for the most part, the vast majority of it, watching Jay Happ pitch was torture. So Jay, do me a favor, have a great time in Minnesota, go be terrible over there, or be good because you're in a smaller market, I don't really care, just as long as you're not on the Yankees, just go have a great time in Minnesota, and then when you're bad over there, find a good reason to whine about it. 
And whenever the Yankees see you, I hope they absolutely club you for six bombs inside of two innings. I mean, I really do wish him the best of luck there in Minnesota, but as far as not being on the Yankees anymore, good riddance. Goodbye, best of luck, and God bless. Ah, very happy about that. (laughs) So, after that, I was basically gonna just talk about the status of Masahiro Tanaka and then end the show, but... As you guys know, while I was recording the poll segment, news broke about the Yankees trading for Jameson Tyon, so I'm going to talk about that first and then segue that into talking about Tanaka for a little bit, and then we're going to wrap up this very long episode. (laughs) I expected this to be a longer one today because of how much there is to talk about. We've missed three weeks of yapping Yankees, two weeks vacation, but it's been three weeks since we spoke, so lots to talk about. But again, as the news about Kluber broke during my social media lives, the news about Jameson Tyon not long ago broke while I was recording the show today. (laughs) So, it was announced just maybe, it's in the 1 o'clock hour now, maybe about an hour ago, maybe a little less, I don't know precisely, but it was announced not long ago that Jameson Tyon is officially a Yankee. And it has been officially announced that four prospects are heading back to Pittsburgh. I have the names and all of it, so we'll discuss this quickly. But before we do, do you actually remember in the past, we spoke about it here on Yapping Yankees in early December, early to mid-December, because it was a discussion at the time. But around the time of the winter meetings, there were reports surfacing that the Yankees were in contact with the Pirates about a potential trade for Jameson Tyon and Josh Bell, their first baseman slash DH, whenever they have the option for DH, whether it be last year during the Universal DH or whenever they went to an American League ballpark. But the report said that the Yankees were talking to them about both of those guys, and I really expressed that I didn't really see a place for Josh Bell to really fit, other than the fact that he can bat lefty. But as far as a legitimate position or a spot on the team, not really much of a place. And as far as Jameson Tyon, I mentioned the fact that he's had two Tommy Johns, and we already have somebody coming off Tommy John surgery in Luis Severino, and that although it could be interesting, I wasn't too interested in it, especially when there were more guys available on the market at that point of the offseason. Like, I wouldn't have been totally opposed to getting Tyon, but it was really more him grouped with Josh Bell than anything. I had my reservations about Tyon, too. Even though when healthy, he's known to have good stuff, but I didn't really see a trade happening with him and Josh Bell especially. And wondering what the return would be, of course, that's another factor in a trade, duh, obviously. But of course, as we know, weeks ago, Josh Bell went to the Nationals, so he was no longer an option. So now, apparently, with the Yankees still in contact about Tyon, it would just be for Tyon. And the last couple of days, the rumors about this have gotten stronger and stronger, which is why earlier I said it's not really a surprise that this happened at this point, especially given how other options were starting to pan out, too, between Bauer and his crazy asking price, not really expecting Paxton to come back, and especially, even more so after this trade today, not really expecting Tanaka to come back, but especially after his asking price, which we'll talk about in a bit. Other potential options like Luis Castillo, likely not happening. Not much going on with guys like Cole Hamels and Taiwan Walker at all. Not much steam at all behind Kyle Hendricks on the Cubs. So overall, it just seemed more and more likely that a move for Tyon was going to happen. But it's just awesome that it could happen during this recording and you could really like get my live reaction to it. Live reaction on a pre-taped show. Bit of an oxymoron there, but whatever. <laughs> So, I'll give a bit more background on Jameson Tyon when we get into individual discussion on him. But as for the return to Pittsburgh, as I had speculated earlier on, I said it's probably for prospects because that's really what Pittsburgh's been doing, just stacking up on prospects. As I mentioned before, they did the same in the Musgrove trade, and it looks like they did the same here for four prospects now specifically. 
And the biggest name in this trade on the Yankees' behalf was Miguel Yajore. We've seen him a couple of times out of the Yankee bullpen in the shortened season. So the Pirates get him, they get Ronsi Contreras, Michael Escado, and Kanan Smith. Those are the four prospects that the Pirates get back. And again, they still just seem to be loading up on them, like they did with the Musgrove trade, and they're just, they really want prospects right now. And I knew they wouldn't ask for the moon and the sun for Tyon since, again, he's coming off Tommy John surgery, the second one of his career after his first in 2014, but I think this is a good trade for the Yankees looking at it right now. I really do. Yahure and Contreras, I believe, were on the 40-man roster, so they cleared up the two roster spots needed for DJ and Kluber. I had briefly mentioned earlier in the show that once they brought back DJ and Kluber on the 15th, the 40-man had already been filled up, and they needed to clear up roster spots, which is what made many people believe that the Yankees had a trade brewing, so maybe they could clear up those spots, and at the same time, maybe stay under the luxury tax threshold. And with this trade, they've done that, getting rid of these two pieces, so you can add DJ and Kluber, but you still need one more spot for tie-on. But I imagine the Yankees will take care of that, whether it be letting someone go, or doing another trade, perhaps. Who knows? But you know what? This trade does a lot. Because while they do still need to clear another spot, it did help them clear some space off the 40-man. It helped them stay under the luxury tax threshold, which we've spoken so much about. Tyon is only set to make $2.25 million this year, and he still has another year of team control next year in 2022 if he does well this year, which means he could return to the Yankees next year if the Yankees want to bring him back and still be cheap while avoiding arbitration. That is, again, if he does well. And as I said, no one big was given up really at all. No one in the Yankees' top 10 in prospects. Yahori is the most well-known, the only one that we've seen on a major league mound as of now. So again, no top prospects in the top 10 are going to Pittsburgh. No one like Luis Gill or Luis Medina, Albert Abreu, Estevan Florial, Jason Dominguez especially. The hype around him is just wild. The list goes on. So no top prospects heading out of here. The other three prospects do definitely have the potential to make names for themselves someday, obviously, but they're still pretty far off from the majors, and you can't prospect hug too much. So, all in all, despite the obvious risk of him coming off Tommy John surgery, especially the second one of his career, when it comes to evaluating this trade itself, I gotta say, I like it. And also, you have to remember, there are other positives to this. Like Kluber has some familiar faces with the Yankees, so does Tyon. He has a very good relationship with Garrett Cole. You have to remember, Garrett Cole started out with the Pirates, and he and Tyon knew each other for a lot of years. Garrett Cole's only a little older than him. They spent a lot of time together in the minor leagues, and they're very familiar with one another. And we all know how much Garrett Cole loves to help other guys with their craft. He just loves talking pitching in general, so he can really help out Tyon. If needed, of course. And from what I see right here, I'm reading it right now, Garrett Cole has a very good endorsement for him, talking about how great of a person he is, how great this could turn out for the Yankees, and he's just getting huge endorsements all around the league from what I'm seeing right now. And the guy is a fighter. He's had two Tommy Johns. He's actually also a cancer survivor. I don't know if a lot of you knew that, but he is a cancer survivor, so God bless him there. The guy is definitely a fighter, so I'm really looking forward to seeing how he comes back this year from Tommy John. Like Kluber, he should be ready to go for spring training, for opening day, for all of it, and hopefully he comes back strong. The kid may have had his injuries and his struggles in life, and there, of course, is a risk with him coming back from injury, too, at least a little bit, especially Tommy John. But 
They clear the spots off the roster. They stay under the threshold. They don't give up much at all for him. Really nothing that stings. And although I expressed doubt earlier in the offseason having another guy coming back from Tommy John surgery, not only have I just been erring on the side of optimism in general lately, but I don't know. Now that I heard even more about him, Tyon really seems like a fighter. He really just has a lot of upside to him. He's only 29 years old. I never denied that he had good stuff. He does have good stuff. It's just a matter of him being healthy. And like Kluber, I really am rooting for him to just have a great comeback. And if he does come back strong, that is a very nice addition to the Yankee rotation. He could be a three guy behind Cole and Kluber. So if everything goes as planned right now, you're looking at a rotation of Garrett Cole, Corey Kluber, Jameson Tyon, and then Davey Garcia and Montgomery slash... Schmidt slash Herman. They have lots of options here. And there's Michael King too, but I really see him as more of like a long relief guy out in the pen for now. But the point is the Yankees have lots of options. And then when Seve comes back in the second half, you could have maybe Cole, Kluber, Seve, Tyon, and then Monty, Davey, Schmidt, and Herman for considerations for the fifth spot. Then that rotation's looking really good. And again, as we've mentioned too, we don't know what kind of Seve we're getting back. And as I said, I do hear all of you saying, and rightfully saying, there are a lot of ifs in this situation, but there seems to be an awful lot of confidence in all of these guys, all of them. And if it does work out, this has the potential to be a really fun rotation to watch in 2021. And we will have plenty of more time to talk about all of this. Definitely lots of good discussion to go off of today here on this long episode. And this definitely does have the potential to be great. Now, one last thing though, what does this mean for someone like Tanaka, who we've spoken about at great length this offseason, and how he could possibly return if the price is right? Well, honestly, not only does this trade today even further solidify my belief that now he won't be returning, but so too did the news from last week that Tanaka was seeking a short-term deal, like a one-year deal perhaps, which is fine lengthwise, but for somewhere in the 15 to $20 million range. And honestly, especially in an offseason like this one when teams are so hesitant to give that kind of money in a season, especially given the kind of room the Yankees have at this point with the rest of their payroll, before they go over the threshold, which is about maybe a couple of million dollars away. That's really not an asking price the Yankees are going to go for. So Tanaka, in my opinion, is really not coming back. And I feel really bad, but it just doesn't seem it's meant to be as of now. And I'll miss him. I will. I really will miss Masahiro Tanaka. I've said it before and I'll say it again. To me, Masa has always been a personification of a Yankee. His work ethic and dedication, his durability, even with his partial UCL tear for years now, he always went out there and gave it his all, his class, and before this weird past 2020 season, his performances in October too, just off the charts, just a lot of good qualities about him that I feel some people may not give him enough credit for. So while he did have his flaws, of course, if he does in fact leave because it's not confirmed, but I really think he will at this point, it's really hard to imagine him returning right now. But if he does in fact leave, I'll miss him and I wish him the best. I really do think he's going to be heading back home to Japan. I know that there are a couple of teams in baseball that have spoken to him, but I do think that the most likely option is that he goes back to Japan. Regardless of where he does end up, it's possible that he could stay in the major leagues and just go elsewhere, but I think it's likely that he goes to Japan. But regardless of where he goes, I'm really confident in my saying right now that he is not going to return to the Yankees. It doesn't fit their budget, it's not an asking price that should be entertained right now, and it's clearly just not meant to be at the moment. So that rotation that I just offered to you both with and without Seve before he comes back and when he is back, that's mainly what you're looking at. 
for 2021. So let's hope that it works out, guys. But as for the rest of the offseason, which is only just a few weeks more, because if it does in fact start on time, spring training's only weeks away. So to end the show, I ask you, what else could the Yankees do? If you look at the checklist, they re-signed DJ, the rotation seems done for now, they've signed not one but two pitchers, and Tyon could, for some people, depending on whether you believe he could come back strong or not, it could act as that sense of security for you, for those who are feeling uneasy about the Kluber signing, and that potentially being the last move that Cashman made. Well, it wasn't, they traded for Tyon today. So they re-signed DJ, they signed not one but two pitchers, so that's really most of what we've spoken about that they could address this offseason. Re-signing DJ, definitely the starting rotation, Perhaps they go for a bullpen arm? As I said before, according to reports, the Yankees maybe have anywhere from two to three million to work with left before crossing the luxury tax threshold. And they still have one more 40-man roster spot to clear. Do they DFA someone? Do they make one more trade for that bullpen arm? Maybe that's cheap enough and could be efficient and could clear up that one spot on the roster? Could they find a way to re-sign and bring back Brett Gardner? I know some people have brought that up. Let me know what you think the Yankees will do next, if anything. Tell me down in the comments if you're listening to this on YouTube, or if you're listening to this elsewhere, you know you're more than welcome to hit me up on social media. You know I love to hear from you. So an exciting last couple of weeks, guys. No doubt. So much to talk about. A really long show as a result of it. The Yanks have made moves. There's only about a week left in the month of January here, and we are mere weeks away from pitchers and catchers reporting to spring training. And I really look forward to the continued discussion going forward, guys. But as for now, that is all for episode 80 of Yapping Yankees today. Let's give one last shout out to Grunt Talks MLB, Reckless Airwaves, and Ball 9. Ball 9 brings you some of the best baseball content out there. Baseball stories old and new, articles, roundtable discussions, suggested baseball podcasts like Yapping Yankees, and more. Visit Ball 9's website, ball9.com, and follow them on all social medias at Ball9, and know what you don't know. Next, we have Reckless Airwaves Radio. Get your latest uncensored, unlimited dish on everything sports. Interviews, featured podcasts, including Yapping Yankees, and much more. Anything goes on Reckless Airwaves Radio. Give them a follow across all social medias at Reckless Airwave, and check out their website, RecklessAirwaves.com. And our final shout-out goes to Grunt Talks MLB. Visit their website, GruntTalksMLB.com, to see all of their baseball content and where they feature Yapping Yankees. Also follow the mastermind behind the website. His name is Darren, and you can find him on Twitter at YankeeReport28, and follow them on all social medias at GruntTalksMLB. Special thanks to our friends at GruntTalksMLB, Reckless Airwaves, and Ball9 for helping to spread the word every week about yapping Yankees. And also be sure to follow me on all social medias, guys, so you can keep up on the latest having to do with me personally, along with the Yankees and Yapping Yankees announcements, content, and social media segments on Twitter and Instagram every Saturday. Follow my Facebook fan page, at Mike Scudero NY. Follow me on Twitter, at Mike Scudero, and on Instagram, at Mike 
Scuds97. I'd also really appreciate it, guys, if you took the time to hit that subscribe button on the Yapping Yankees YouTube channel, and also subscribe and always listen to Yapping Yankees on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. While you're at it, don't forget to also listen to the past Yapping Yankees episodes you've missed. Why not? Episodes 34 up to episode 80 today are available on YouTube, and all Yapping Yankees episodes, including today's, are available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Once again, thank you 3000 for listening to me yap today. I am Mike Scudero, and I'll talk to you next Sunday, January 31st, the last day of the month, when I come at you with episode 81 of Yapping Yankees. Until then, guys, hang in there, be patient, please stay safe, look out for your loved ones, no more ending off with telling the Yankees to re-sign DJ, (laughs) and most of all, it is good to be back. Enjoy your week, my friends, and take care.